morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I could not possibly have put any more emphasis into the first five words of the six-word name of our podcast, because right now it is not the kind of weather that a lot of Florida Gators fans are accustomed to or appreciative of that has befallen this fan base right now. Um, It has been a crazy last few days in the world of Gator football, and we are going to talk about all of it. Of course, I am an All Kinds of Weather creator and founder, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather. I am joined by Dustin Smith, who you can follow at I-A-K-O-W. Dustin Casey, as has been the case the last few weeks, has been buried up over his head in work. Um, He is very much still a piece of this pod. In case y'all are wondering, nothing happened. He's fine. He's just very busy and doesn't really have a block of time to delegate to this pod. But he did send me a, a single emoji to react to all of it. And it was the emoji with, um, you know, the, the the plain yellow face with the hands on the sides of the face and the mouth open in shock. That is his only comment that he has on the last few days. And that's going to cover everything from the South Carolina game. That was great when Florida was favored by 20 and a half and instead got their brains bashed in by a team that barely beat Vanderbilt, barely beat East Carolina, barely beat Troy and beat a bad Eastern Illinois team from the FCS to get their four wins on the year. Of course, after that, it just started snowballing. Things just started happening. That game directly cost Todd Grantham his job if the previous three and a half plus years did not somehow do it. That game did. Um, And the same goes for offensive line coach John Hevesy. These are two people who are not especially – great at their jobs. We have a lot of things to say about all of that, including um, the fact that our quarterback that we thought was going to be starting against South Carolina did not start because, not because he was in concussion protocol, no, because he got hurt dancing in the hotel room the day before the game, which, I mean, if there's not a perfect euphemism or metaphor for this 2021 season, uh, there it is right there. So, yes, the Florida loss to South Carolina was really, really ugly, and it was so ugly that it made things happen after that. And then we found out retroactively that there was something that happened before that that at least led to one piece of that game playing out the way it did, that, of course, being – the fact that Anthony Richardson did not play and that Emory Jones got the start and played the whole way through. So Dustin's coming on momentarily, but before we get to him, we got to shout out our sponsors slash partners as usual, proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We were reduced to a virtual campaign in 2020, but aside from that, we have been doing what we do since 2018 and our 2021 campaign was with a very special individual named Ontario Jones really fits the theme this week of veterans day saluting those who serve you guys, the Gator nation did all you could 
to help fund his trip from Oklahoma City to Gainesville to watch the Gators play for the first time ever. And, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better because, as you know, we've talked about before, he's going to lose his eyesight and from a tragic uh, accident that revealed that he has a rare eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa that's eventually going to steal his eyesight. So, obviously, time was of the essence there, imperative to get him to a Gator football game before that happened. We did that thanks to you guys. We are looking to do so in 2022 at least once, if not twice. We are looking for donations for that. Please go to GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button if you are interested in doing so. If you'd like to donate tickets or a parking pass or something of that nature, feel free to reach out to us on our social media handles at the GatorGood on Twitter at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design. Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, Give y'all two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding every show. And tonight we're going to really highlight one of them because of the time of the year. It is a veteran-owned business, guys. I mean, we talk about Veterans Day, thanking those who serve, talking about, you know, when you see a military veteran somewhere in the streets, in an airport, at a game, whatever, shaking their hands saying thank you. They appreciate that. But one way you can really, really thank your veterans is by giving them business. And by the way, it's not just a veteran-owned business. It's a Florida Gator fan veteran-owned business that, oh, by the way, happens to do amazing work. Go see for yourself. Go to GatorGoodFoundation.com. We just talked about the Gator Good Foundation. They, these folks did their website, and they just knocked it out of the park. We could not possibly be any happier with the product that they gave us. So, yes, they do great work but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Now, with that said, welcome aboard, Dustin. Um, I mean, I, I just touched on all of it. To start the show, there was the surprise beatdown at the hands of South Carolina. Uh, I think that's the logical place to start because that really triggered uh, some of the revelations and and, and the happenings of the next couple of days that followed. So I've been talking long enough. So Dustin, you kick off the analysis portion of this pod. Florida lost a game in such humiliating fashion that it directly resulted in Todd Grantham and John Havasey, but specifically Todd Grantham losing his job. So how are you feeling about that? Yeah, Neil, obviously – this is something that we've been we've been crying for uh, since the beginning of the season. Um, in fact, to be more specific, we were crying for this um, going into the bowl game uh, last year, and especially after the bowl game last year. Um, especially on the Grantham side of things. Now, obviously, we'll speak more about his circumstance and and what led to his demise at the University of Florida and coaching defense. I mean, I. That 2020 defense was awful. And then obviously this year, I mean, it doesn't need to be stated as far as the LSU, um, you know, counter over, over and over again for explosive 
plays. And then again, the same thing against South Carolina with the counter, destroying the Florida defense. It was awful. And the definition of insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different results. So it's pleasing to me that for all the criticism that we're giving Mullen and we're giving the, uh, the administration at the University of Florida um, for maybe some, some lacking in one way, shape, or form, um, I'm glad that they're at least not fulfilling the definition of insanity and that they're eliminating the, a big cause for the defense. Now, um, just real quick on the Hevesy side of things, he is not recruiting at the level that, that we need at the University of Florida to be successful on the offensive line. Now, we did, we did play pretty well uh, at that spot uh, early in the season, but as the season has worn on and attrition has taken place, those, for those uh, starting five to six guys are, are now uh, beat up and they're now not up to 100% like they were early in the season, and we have not built depth on the offensive line. And it's evident in the fact that we can't run the ball in the same way that we were able to early in the season, and we're not physically dominating teams like we saw early in the season, especially in the run game. And it's evident that Hevesy has not done the job on the, on the line of scrimmage. It's no, I mean, sad. it's very hard to defend any of that. Yeah. Um, yep. you're, you're, you're touching on the next subject uh, a little bit earlier than I would have thought. But you know what? And then again, I can't, I can't accuse you of jumping the gun here because that is the topic everyone's talking about. We know Florida got its brains bashed in on Saturday night. There's no real point going into too much detail on that. And you hit on one of the main reasons for it. The offensive line was abysmal. The defense wasn't a whole lot better. The offense, I mean, the skill positions – and maybe, you know, a little credit here and there. Uh, Justin Shorter getting open with a good route. Um, Keon Zipper with a nice little fight there at the end, on a nice, a nice catch. Um, gamble. But by and large, the receivers didn't do their job. The running backs didn't have anywhere to go because of the offensive line. It was just a team loss everywhere you looked. No one did their job. No one did their part. And it was a loss that had ramifications. Like I said at the top of the show, I mean, I – I didn't use their names at the start of the show, but there's no point in doing it because everyone knows Todd Grantham by now is gone. John Hevesy, we all know by now is gone. There's no point in holding on to that, that sentence uh, for any longer. So, you know, we're talking about a team, Dustin, that, that just didn't want to be there. And we can, we can debate if, I mean, we, we can debate if that's because they don't, care for Mullen or we can debate if that they don't care for the now departed Grantham and Hevesy. Um, but the fact of the matter is this is a team that just did not care at all about that game with a few exceptions. I mean, Zach Carter cared. Um, Diabate cared despite their obvious dislike for Grantham. Those guys cared. Um, kind of hard to say shorter didn't after you know, that nice route, um, the nice catch on the deep ball early um, gamble. Um, Josh Braun puts a pretty good game tape out there, but I mean, by and large, this team didn't care. And that's, that's the real reason that I'm personally fed up with Mullen, um, which is the next real topic of discussion. But before we get to that, um, was there anything that you took from the game 
aside from the individual players that did not quit, which I can't believe I even have to say that. That's a good thing because you shouldn't have anyone quit ever. <laughs> That's the cardinal sin of sports. But was there anything aside from that that you took as a positive from this game? I, I find it hard to take away any positives from this game. And what was funny to me is if you had locked me in a cave and then let me out at the end of the game to see the box score, I would have thought that there was a graphical error on, on the side of ESPN and they completely switched the teams. I mean, the performance that South Carolina had, that's about what, what I had expected Florida to do. Now, I didn't necessarily think Florida would score 40 points, but I expected Florida to physically dominate South Carolina based on what we saw on film from that team in prior games. I mean, keep in mind, this was a South Carolina team that their lone SEC victory before playing the Gators was against Vanderbilt 21-20, to a one-point victory over one of the worst Vanderbilt teams I've ever seen. And Vanderbilt's bad, but they're exceptionally bad this year. And they ran for 284 yards on 42 attempts, and that's an average of 6.8 yards per carry. And Neil, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's pretty much what Florida's been on the ground this season per carry, between six and seven yards per carry. Well, Damian Pierce is. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, this is like, we're, we're about to do a rapid fire final word because we have so much more to talk about. We have such bigger fish to fry than just a meaningless game between two, four and four teams that, that went a shocking way, but we have to take into account and, and I'm prefacing probably the worst grades we've ever given in, in, you know, this is the second season that we've done this pod, these are going to be the worst grades we've ever given. And there have been some bad ones. This is going to be easily the worst. And it's because this South Carolina team was atrocious. They hadn't scored more than, I think it was 23 points against any FBS team all year long. They, 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 got, they, they put up 46 against Eastern Illinois. Dustin, they had to struggle tooth and nail to beat Troy. They had to struggle tooth and nail to beat East Carolina. They barely held on to beat Vanderbilt. Those are their wins. Eastern Illinois in the FCS, a three-point win against ECU. I think it was a nine-point win against a bad Troy team and a one-point win against Vanderbilt. That's how they got their four. We're talking about a team that is competitive with the Vanderbilt team that Florida blew out 42 to nothing. And a lot of Gator fans were still pissed because that game left so much to be desired. We beat that Vandy team by 42 and it was considered a bad showing. South Carolina beat that team by one and very easily could have lost. And this, this is the, the profile of the team that just bashed our skulls in. And Dustin I, I say this all the time. The, the, there is one and there is only one exception to in all kinds of weather. And that is when a team quits. That is when the team gives up, does not care, shuts down the operation, fundamentally is indifferent 
as to how the game goes. They do not care to put forth their best effort. They do not care to make sure that they're doing their jobs, executing the fundamentals of football. And that is where we once again say hello to the unofficial official motto of this podcast. We keep it respectful, but we keep it real. Well, keeping it respectful means that I don't know a lot of these players as people. I know some of them. I don't know a lot of them. I'm willing to believe that they're good people that genuinely try their best. I'm willing to believe that they generally do the right thing whenever possible. I'm not saying anything of that nature that, oh, well, you know, they're bad people. They get in trouble. No, 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 no. We're not saying anything like that. That's just being blatantly disrespectful. That's the kind of thing we will never do and in all kinds of weather. But keeping it real means expressing that that is disgraceful. That is embarrassing. That is humiliating. If I were one of those players that, that quit, and it was most of them, not all, no, 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 Zach Carter, shout out to you, Damian Pierce, Mohamed Diabate, uh, Rashad Torrance, uh, Jason Marshall, uh, Emery Jones, even. He didn't play well, but he tried. So, you know, several of the players are excused from this, but by and large, this team quit. And that is absolutely disgusting. That is unacceptable. It is humiliating. And if I were one of them, I wouldn't want to show my face around campus. I'm not anywhere near as talented as these guys. None of us are. These players are at the University of Florida because they're talented. I can't claim to have a tenth of, I can't claim to have a thousandth of the talent that they do in the game of football. Of course I don't. I'm, I didn't get a scholarship to UF and they did. To have that talent, to have an opportunity to play on scholarship for the University of Florida, and oh, by the way, now you can make money off of it legally, thanks to name, image, and likeness being passed, shout out Gator Collective. But I mean, you, you have all that going for you and, and you just don't try and you just don't care? Oh, I know Todd Grantham is a terrible defensive coordinator. I know John Hevesy is a terrible offensive line coach, or at least in the case of Florida, we use past tense there. They were terrible at their jobs. Thankfully, they're no longer there. I understand having someone in position of power over you that you fundamentally despise is not exactly conducive to getting your best effort and your best results. But at the end of the day, you're playing for the logo. You're playing for the school that you signed your national letter of intent to on signing day. You just don't care. You don't try. And, and don't, I, I don't want to hear about the flu. FSU had the flu and they were competitive against NC State. That's a, that, that's a ranked team, NC State, a ranked opponent. They were competitive. They didn't win the game, but they were competitive. They showed up and they came to play. I don't want to hear about the flu. I, are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're, we're looking for excuses 
when a team that is objectively awful, like South Carolina, that barely beats the worst Vanderbilt team. Actually, I don't know about that. Last year's team was pretty bad too. One of the two worst Vanderbilt teams for sure in my lifetime, and I'm 27, and Vanderbilt is never good. They're always pretty bad. This team is bad even by their standards. They beat that team by one point, and now they have, they're down to their third-string quarterback, a transfer from St. Francis, and they beat you 40-17? to 17? There's no other explanation for that kind of result. Other than that, the team didn't care. They didn't try. They didn't show up to play. They were not ready. And, I mean, Zach Carter said it himself. Carter's one of the few guys I will always stand behind because I know that dude gives 100%, even if Florida doesn't win the game. That kid is putting out great game tape on a weekly basis. He gets my undying devotion and loyalty. He said it best. It's embarrassing. You're damn right it's embarrassing. There's no other explanation. There's no other conclusion. There's no other epitaph for a result like that. And I've, I've said it enough times. I wrote about it twice. I mean, I, I covered it pretty good in the Twitter spaces I did after the game. That will go down as one of, if not the most embarrassing non-Georgia Southern losses in school history. And no, nothing's going to touch Georgia Southern. Florida would have to lose to Samford to, to touch that territory. But this was one of the most humiliating non-Georgia Southern losses in school history. So that's the context. We're, we're talking about the final word that we're about to do, the, the quickest final word we're ever going to do in, in our pod's history. That's the context we're working with here. That game tape showed me a team, not a player here and there. It showed me a team that quit. And that is the worst thing you can do in organized sports. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe faking an injury. I mean, those it's one of those two. I, I personally, I think quitting is worse, but those are the two worst things you can do in sports. And Florida did one of them. The majority of the Florida team all did one of them. And that's going to lead us into the next point of discussion of uh, Dan Mullen, but let's get through the quickest final word ever. We're going to do this in 30 seconds or less. Offense, F. Defense, F. Special teams, C. Um, you know, Chrisman or Howard had a field goal. Great. Um, didn't give up a punt return touchdown or get anything blocked. All right. Coaching F play of the game. Um, the, the touchdown pass to van where he was wide open in the end zone and had all day to read a book or order a pizza or whatever. Um, as their, their Twitter page so cleverly pointed out, um, South Carolina Twitter page pointed out, um, and the player of the game is going to be eh, probably Jason Brown. You know, the, the third string QB coming in, winning the game for the Gamecocks. Um, so yeah. And the, uh, oh, and the overall grade is a zero. You, you get a flat out zero. Congratulations. Uh, Dustin, how about you? All right, Neil. So I'm going to make it quick like yourself. Offense F defense F minus special teams C minus coaching F minus. And I just had my uh, 27th birthday. So I happened to, uh, Average out the 
numbers that I gave to the respective components and I got 27. So you know what? I'll be nice and give the Gators a 27%. As far as my player of the game, I'm going to go with Kevin Harris, the running back that averaged 8.0 yards per rush, um, gained 128 yards, and uh, had some explosive plays, ironically running the counter, the very same play that was our demise against LSU and likely led directly to the demise of Todd Grantham immediately instead of at the end of the season. So there it is. <laughs> if you have any questions about my grades, you can uh, at me on Twitter and I'll, I'll, I'll gladly respond. All right, you're, you're way to too kind. You're, you're way too I – th- I think I need to make one very, very slight alteration. You know how uh, in school, you know, you, you get group projects and you get an individual grade and then your, t- you know, your team, your group gets a collective grade and you sort of average them out? So I will give the guys that tried, and there are a few of them, um, you know, Kyrie Elam, Zach Carter, Muhammad Diabate, Damian Pierce – Emory Jones didn't play well, but he tried. Um, you know, Josh Braun, Rashad Torrance, Jason Marshall. Um, I'll, I'll, I will give them all each um, a stock grade of 65 because it's, it's hard to judge like how they really perform because their game tape was good, but I mean, well, it wasn't great, but it was, it was respectable. Um, but Every other player in, on that team gets an automatic zero. It's like if you're caught cheating. Like, what happens if you get caught cheating? You don't get a number grade. You're just a zero, and you're done with it. So you quit. It's a zero, and, and that's the end of that. So that leads us into our next topic of discussion, the topic of Dan Mullen. Um, I made what I would categorize as a bit of a mistake on Sunday because I kind of knew, but I, I didn't really – no, but I kind of sort of knew that Todd Grantham was going to get fired, but I didn't know that for a fact. So I went ahead and I wrote about a 2,000-word article explaining why I'm done trusting Dan Mullen. I'm on, I'm on the fire Mullen train. I, I cannot logically defend him and as the head coach of this football program anymore after a team quits because, like I said, that is the ultimate – sin that is the worst thing you can do as a player and as a coach to oversee a team that collectively quits is the worst thing you can do as a head coach the premise of the article is simple it's not because you're two and eight in your last 10 games against power five teams and one of those two was that vanderbilt team that we just got through discussing as being so historically bad it's not because south carolina set records for the number of points they scored or the margin of victory they had against Florida. It's not because of any result or stat. It is because your team quit. It is because your team quit. They shut down the operation. That is embarrassing. That is disgraceful. That is humiliating. And to me, that is the point where you cannot win your team back. You have lost your team's faith in you. You have lost their ability to trust in you and be willing to go through a wall for you. That is, of course, until Sunday night, about four hours after I published that, when I got a text message saying, yeah, Todd Grantham's going to be fired in about five minutes. And so is John Hevesy. 
And that kind of threw the whole premise of the article into question because a lot of the things I was citing as to why his players had quit on him were his personnel decisions. Dan Mullen does not believe in putting the best players or the best people, period, for specific jobs in position to do those specific jobs. That goes for defensive coordinator with Todd Grantham. That goes for his starting quarterback. You can go back to Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. You can look at this year taking until Emory Jones through that fatal pick six against LSU to even debate using Emory or using Anthony Richardson from that point on. Uh, he just doesn't believe in making personnel decisions based on who the best person for that job is. You do that enough times and your players are going to quit on you. And I still say it's embarrassing as a player to quit because you can blame whoever you want for it. You can be mad at whoever you want. That's your game tape. And your game tape is your resume when you're looking for a job in the NFL one day. Teams who look at that may not know or care why you quit, why your game tape is shit. They're just going to see that it is shit. And they're going to write you off and go on to the next guy at your position. So that's why I feel very comfortable and confident in saying that that's embarrassing and disgraceful and humiliating and all that. But it's also a bigger issue when you talk about so many different players doing it. And as much as I still hate it and I don't defend it, I can kind of understand it. Because Dan Mullen is not exactly a guy who has proven himself to be a trustworthy leader of a football program. His personnel decisions have been baffling in the best of times, and they've been downright atrocious in the worst of times. There is no objective reason to bring Todd Grantham back after Florida has in from 1906 through 2019, minus the World War II year when our players were fighting overseas and we didn't have a season, minus that year, in all those years of football, two times ever has Florida surrendered 600 yards or more in a single game. They did it three times in a shortened 2020 season. And you bring that guy back and you, you see that and you go, hmm, you know what this program needs? Yeah, more of that guy. That's what we need. For you to do that, is incompetence. I don't want to hear about a buyout situation. I don't, first of all, I don't believe that he went to Scott Strickland and said, yeah, I want to fire him. And Strickland told him, no, I don't, I don't buy it. Florida has money out the wazoo. If FSU could enlist in the co-founder of Spanx to fork over $20 million to get rid of Willie Taggart, you better believe the University of Florida's donation pool can fork out two million dollars to get rid of grab them so horse shit but forget that the university of florida is a program where the best people for the jobs are supposed to do those jobs and if dan mullen is not the guy that's going to be the one facilitating that and making sure that that is happening his players are going to quit on him guess what dustin guess what happened on saturday night they quit on him and as much as I hate it, I can't say I don't understand why. And when you lose your trust in the guy doing it, I don't know that you could get it back. Now, 
he did fire those two guys. And like, I don't know, I've, I've teased it on Twitter. I've teased it on the podcast. I don't really care for Todd Grantham. Forget the fact that he's a terrible coach. I don't care for him as a human being. Same with John Hevesy, although maybe not to as uh, maybe not to as poisonous of an of an extent. But I don't care for them as people. The University of Florida has now severed ties with two people that are objectively bad human beings who were somehow in positions of power over these players. Dustin, that kind of sounds like it, it could solve the problem of the players not caring and and quitting because think about it all these different players have now been freed from the daily prison assignment of having to go suit up and push their bodies to their physical limits for these people who are objectively not good people they no longer have to dread going to do their daily jobs anymore they don't have to answer to bad people who oversee them and control how often they step on the field anymore or what their assignments are anymore. That could be a huge weight lifted off their shoulders. That could make them a lot happier. And when you have happy people, you, generally speaking, you tend to get more production out of them. I know I just got through talking about how it's the point of no return and how it's the worst thing you can commit in sports, but do, I mean, am I grasping at straws here? Does that seem like something you can, you can get behind too? Yeah, well, I sure hope so. I sure hope that, that this is a, a way to stop a dam about to burst um, if it hasn't already bursted. <laughs> I mean, if you look objectively at some of the failings of both Todd Grantham and John Hevesy, you, you can't look any further than how the players have responded to, the, to those coaches, respectively. I mean, look at the, uh, the offensive linemen that have, um, that have transferred from Florida early. I mean, you have guys like uh, Blyke, if I'm pronouncing his name, his name right. Um, you also have uh, Isaiah, who um, we all had uh, a very positive outlook on. And, Isaiah you know, Walker. The uh, Isaiah Walker, exactly. Yep. Exactly. We all had high hopes for him as a, as a mid to high four star coming in to, um, to be uh, part of Florida's history of excellent offensive linemen, and, and he left. Um, I mean, Hevesy did pretty good with some, with some players. He did pretty good with Ethan White. He did pretty good with, with uh, uh, Tarquin, who, who's had uh, a pretty decent time filling in for, uh, for DeLance. Um, ironically, and <laughs> I have that Tarquin's better than DeLance, but we'll, we'll leave it at the door. Um, the fact that DeLance played, ha uh, has gone the playing time he has, you know, I mean, that, that calls into question some of Hevesy's judgment right there and Grantham we've, we've spoken at nauseum about Grantham. That's why I'm not really speaking a whole lot about him because there's a lot, there's a lot concerning his situation that we've already spoken at nauseum about. Overall, Anil, I think it's important to recognize this. We saw a team against South Carolina that wasn't motivated. They weren't motivated to hit. They weren't motivated to physically dominate. And that's on both lines of scrimmage. We were dominated by an inferior team on both lines of scrimmage. 
and kneel as as much as we can go at the recruiting issues and and personnel issues and depth and the, the 30 plus players that miss practice throughout the week due to the flu you can't you can't let that be an excuse for being physically dominated by an inferior team but i think it suffices to say this neil my hope is that the team responds well to the firings of these two coaches the fact that these two coaches will not be part of the program that they've had to pack up their stuff and they're out of the facility the fact that that there's young and up and coming guys that are that are going to be taking over respectively in these roles at least on an interim basis until dan mullen can hire a full-time uh, defensive coordinator and a full-time offensive line coach i'm excited to see what happens i'm excited to see what leadership arises now that these two guys are not in the facility and not part of the program now neil you have a little bit more inside information as far as how these guys are responding of course on message boards and you know swap 24 7 they were they were outlining some some texts that went back and forth between some of the players as well as recruits and overall the sentiment seems to be positive so neil i have to ask you from what you're able to tell and what you're what you're what would be okay for you to share what is your what what have you been hearing from your contacts as far as how this move has impacted the team and what do you think the impact is going to be moving forward the rest of the season well i'll start with what everyone knows right now and it's the fact that some of the players have been tweeting out random emojis which i mean let's face it we all know is their way of saying we're free to hell with grantham to hell with Havasi, we're free now i mean we know that that's them expressing their elation at the fact that these guys are no longer their direct superiors and that's the point that i was i'm really i'm really hinging my hopes on okay we we can talk about how these were bad coaches because i mean there's no shortage of game tape to support that theory there will be a time and place for me to go into all the reasons why these are bad people too. There, there will be an article at some point. I'm, I mean, ideally I'm going to need guys to finish their college careers so they can go on the record about it. Um, or at least, you know, anonymous, be willing to anonymously put you know, some exact examples into my, um, into my text notifications. But for now, just just for now, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I do hate um, to continue stringing y'all along and teasing that, but just for now, know this. These are two bad people, objectively bad human beings who were in positions of authority over 18 to 22 year old college kids that made these kids legitimately dread suiting up for practice every day. The, I mean, think about it, like being a Florida Gator, as as a little kid when you are playing peewee ball like wow it'd be so cool to put on that that orange helmet with the blue stripe with the gator script across it put those pads on go to war for that logo that'd be so cool to have that dream turn into a nightmare by these two people that nightmare is gone they've woken up this was a cancer being removed from the program in really two two places uh, the offensive line, obviously, and the entire defense. Florida 
as a program has just had two types of cancer removed from their body. They're free now. They have a new lease on life. Now, does that mean they're going to go out there and win a national championship next year? No, because when a tumor is removed from your body, it doesn't guarantee that everything else with your body is okay. If you have a torn ACL and you happen to have uh, ALS, but you know you got a brain tumor removed, okay, great. The brain tumor is gone. You still have other problems. I'm not by any means saying this Florida team is – all, okay, now we're good. Now we're going to be a national title contender next year. No, 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 no. There's still a lot that's got to get fixed. But these were two cancerous problems for the University of Florida that are now gone. And as a result, the players who were dreading going to practice every day are now thinking much like Antonio Brown in that now viral video that I actually tweeted out when I said, yeah, this is my reaction to Grantham being fired, where the, the Raiders released Antonio Brown. You Google that if you're not familiar with what I'm saying. He's, you know, he's on his phone. He's sitting on his table. He sees the Raiders release him on Twitter, and he jumps off his stool and goes, free, free. They freed me. They freed me. Fly like an eagle. I'm free. I'm free. That's what the guys have to feel like, whether or not they'll ever admit it. Time will tell, but at least in one sense, the University of Florida's football program just got a lot healthier, as Dan Mullen liked to say. Yeah, Neil. I mean, that's excellent to hear. It's, it's definitely a breath of fresh air. So, Neil, it's clear to me that Mullen is still on the hot seat. Now, I know that he's, based on what we've seen, he's got 2022 more than likely. I don't think that barring an absolute meltdown by the Florida Gators over the, these next three games, that Mullen is going to be fired at the end of the season. I just don't see it happening. Even if he deserves it, and you wrote a very good article concerning the matter, um, still, there's a lot that I need to see from Dan Mullen to prove to me that he's worthy of continuing as the head football coach from the University of Florida. And again, we've reiterated it over and over and over again. So I'm not going to try to beat a dead horse, but here I am. Personnel decisions. Okay, It's been clear since the early, the early parts of the season that Anthony Richardson has been the better quarterback. On top of that, and, and even, even more detrimental, in my opinion, to the, uh, the overall production of our offense – We've continued with this running back rotation, and I'm not sure if that's a if that's a Greg Knox issue, a Hevesy issue, or a Dan Mullen issue. I mean, I I would put the onus on Mullen if it was up to me. But we keep having this three headed monster at running back, and it's clear to it's clear to me, and I'm sure it is clear to you that Damian Pierce should be the guy with the majority of the carries. I think Damian Pierce should carry the ball 15 to 20 times a game. And when he needs a breather, then that's when you bring in Naquan, right? Then that's when you bring in Malik Davis. And when you have a special play or a special package that works better for those particular backs, put them in. But I'm tired of seeing this rotation. It doesn't help the Gators. It doesn't help the rhythm. It doesn't help the productivity. And against South Carolina, yeah, they're giving up the pass, but – the fact that we didn't see Pierce run once um, 
until the fourth drive of the game. It's very disappointing to me. So that, and then don't get me started on the defense, which is obviously mostly on Grantham. He's fired. He's gone. But even, even still, mentioned it in the, in the last pod, and I mentioned it now, recruiting continues to be a major issue at the University of Florida at, with the Gators. And his comments after the Georgia game did him no favors. And the fact that his comments lined up more with the reality of the circumstance than even the, the actual reality of what's happening. So obviously, the entire staff is recruiting. Recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. They're recruiting. They're not recruiting well, but they're recruiting. There's no such thing as recruiting season and football season. Recruiting is 365 days a year within the, the boundaries that are set by the NCAA. They're still recruiting. Recruiting has to get better. We have to be top five every year when it comes to recruiting. And the fact that we're not is indicative that we are not living up to the Gator standard. We will not win championships in any regard if we're not recruiting better. I would argue that Florida has to be top 10 every year. You can win national titles if you're finishing 7, 8, 9 in recruiting rankings and you have a coach who can develop talent and call a brilliant game. Because let's, I mean, look, let's face it. The difference between the number three and the number seven overall recruiting class typically is overcomable. It's surmountable with good coaching. And we've seen, we have seen Dan Mullen outcoach Kirby Smart before. So, I mean, if Florida's finishing, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, fine. It's when you see Florida in the 20s, in the 30s, worse even, that the alarm bells start going off. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll add something else here. Recruiting has not cost Florida one game this year. A bad first quarter by Florida cost them against Alabama. And we know that the team was talented enough because they then took it to Alabama for the next three quarters. So clearly they were talented enough to do that. So talent wasn't the reason things went so bad in the first quarter. A blocked kick going the other way for seven which, you know, the fault of the kicker for kicking it low in the first place was the reason we lost to Kentucky. The fact that our defense didn't know how to stop a simple counterplay was the reason we lost to LSU. That's on Todd Grantham. That's not on recruiting. You know, the talent was there. And Anthony Richardson was the reason we lost to Georgia because we stood toe-to-toe with the dogs for, what was it, 27 minutes before he gave the game away with a fumble and then a pick six. And then Rashad Torrance did bust one coverage uh, on a 36-yard bomb to Kieran Jackson. And Florida was 10 times more talented than the South Carolina team that just bludgeoned them last Saturday night. Recruiting is going to be why Florida loses games in the years to come. Like, you think this is bad? If Florida doesn't pick it up on the trail and fast, this is going to become a yearly thing. You won't need a team to just roll over and die like we saw the Gators do against South Carolina because Florida won't be as talented as South Carolina if this keeps up. If Florida finishes the year below 25 and they wind up with a class next year that's also outside the top 25, if this pace 
keeps up. And it's hard to believe it will because, I mean, guys are going to want to come to Florida if Mullen you know, breathes new life into this team the last two games. But if this team finishes outside the top 15 even, they're going to start losing games to teams that are not more talented than them this year, but will be if they keep recruiting circles around them. But that's beside the point because we're talking about a 2021 team that's just not very good. And you know, I'm saying right now the reason is not recruiting. The reason that this team isn't very good is not recruiting. It will be responsible for failures in years to come, but it is not responsible for this year's train wreck. The things that are responsible for this year's train wreck are the things that were responsible for the losses at the end of 2020. It was Mullen not making the right personnel moves. Hint, hint, there is no reason that the guy that throws a shoe to cost us a game is a captain the next week in the SEC championship game. I still can't get over that. Um, and why he even made it that far in the year to begin with. I mean, how Ole Miss can put up 600 yards on him and, and not even have an alarm bell go off. Like, well, maybe this isn't going to work out. You can't fire a guy after one game, but maybe have a shorter leash with him the rest of the year, which he doesn't do. But Dan Mullen, as I pointed out in, in that article that I, I wrote about, you know, it's time for Florida to fire him, because he makes decisions – that makes his team lose trust in him. Grantham should never have been back this year. Grantham shouldn't have been back in 2020. When, when, when Bryce Perkins looks like Lamar Jackson on a team from the University of Virginia that we want to talk recruiting does not recruit from the same pool of talent that Florida recruits from, that's a really bad sign. And you have a month to prepare for him. It's not even like it's a regular season game. You have a month to prep for that guy, and he goes off and looks like Lamar Jackson against you. So the, the continued loyalty, the stubbornness, the arrogance, the condescension that anyone who questions him is going to receive from him in the press conference um, or, or in his, in his, in his post-game interviews, it's just it, it, there's something wrong with the way that he operates. It's not the man that we wanted after he led us to two national titles as our OC because, well, he wasn't the head coach and he was just responsible for shutting his mouth and coming up with a game plan. And it's not even the guy that we saw in 2018-19 who talked about beating your ass in thumb wrestling or running stadiums so you put the ball down some wins, some loses. Something happened to Dan Mullen where the win stopped coming because the stubbornness and the arrogance got worse and worse over time. Now, he has made a correction. He has finally cut ties with Hevesy and with Grantham. But I don't know that this was a decision that he himself made. And that is the crux of why I still more or less believe in every word I wrote. Because if Dan Mullen was forced to make that decision – he didn't learn a thing. He's still the same guy. He's the same stubborn, arrogant guy that's going to put his foot down, flip you off, punch you, and say, yeah, you're an idiot. I know better than you. You're just a couch reader. You're just a fan. You're just a nothing. I'm going to make the decisions that I want to make. You're all morons, and, well, that's just the way it is. If Mullen actually thought about it and said, yeah, I, all right, that's the last straw. I got to fire him. Okay, then great. But I have so much 
I have so much trouble believing that that's the reality because he was the head coach at Mississippi State for nine years. Florida's now played nine games of its 12-game schedule. So add that up. Nine plus three plus 0.75, He's been a head coach for 12.75 years. Over those 12.75 years, he has fired one, count him, one coordinator. He has parted ways with one assistant coach who held him back in over a dozen years. Him making that number two, him adjusting that number of coordinators he fired who held him back from one to two after he had no shortage of chances throughout 2020 and 2021 doesn't exactly lead me to believe that that's going to become the pattern for him. I don't believe because he finally did something for the second time in 12.75 years that he now understands he might have to do it again. Because I'll be, I'll be very blunt. This reeks of the bull gators, the, the, you know, the powerful, super high up donors forcing his hand and saying, Dan, you're firing them or we're going to fire them and you're going with them. Like, like I said before, the, the concept of a knight fork in chess where the knight threatens both the king and the queen at the same time. You know, and the way chess works is the king is your lifeblood. The king is the game. You cannot lose the king or you lose. So if your king is threatened, you have to do everything you can to, to protect it and defend it. And the knight threatens your queen and your king at the same time. And, you know, with only one move, you can only save one of them. You don't have a choice. You have to get rid of your queen to keep the game going. Dan Mullen had to make that decision to save his own ass to keep his own tenure alive and let it play out for another couple of weeks because there was no objective reason for him to come back this year. Talking about Todd Graham, no reason for Todd Graham to be back this year. It reached a point where the bull gators, the high up donors said, you don't have an option. You're firing Todd Grantham or you're gone because there's no other, there's no other explanation to come to the, the boosters don't have, an unlimited amount of rope with this. I mean, the fans certainly don't, but the boosters, I mean, the fans with real money are, are tired of it. They've seen this one thing continue to plague the Gators week after week after week, and, and they've had enough. So I'm not going to believe that Dan Mullen actually learned something from this until and unless he starts consistently making personnel decisions that put the best people for the job in positions to do those jobs. So I do credit him for this because in theory, he could have just told the boosters and the bull gators, no, I'm still going to, you know, be my still my same old stubborn asshole self for another few weeks. And if you don't like it, then I'll leave and go to the NFL because in his mind, he thinks that's a possibility when it is most definitely not, but he could have done that. He didn't. I credit him for that. I, I doesn't mean I believe he's going to, you know, be better for this, but at least he did it. That's, you know, and, and now we'll see. We'll see. Neil, what I find tr- trouble understanding is how a team Monday through Friday can look one way and then Saturday can look a different way. It makes no sense to me. In fact, 
Neil, we've talked about this before. I played football. Never in my life have we played wor- have we played worse than we practiced. Because there's something about the lights. There's something about the the pressure of the game situation where you are playing on the field with more toughness, with more energy, with more excitement, with more passion than you practice. Now, I'm not saying that you can practice bad and expect to play well, but throughout my career, when I, when I was playing high school football, every time we had great practices, we played well, we were hitting on all cylinders, that translated to an excellent performance in the game. Never before do I remember us having great practices and then bad games. It was always the other way around. It was always we had horrible practices during the week and then we lost the, the game and we, we tried and the coach would say something along these lines. Guys, if you were to practice better, we may have won this game. Well, we saw a team that performed the exact opposite. and It makes no sense. And hopefully, hopefully, Neil, hopefully, Neil, that the, this change with the coaching staff, hopefully it helps. Hopefully the, the new coaches that are, that are going to be calling plays, um, and of course we've already discussed this, but C-Rob, um, Christian Robinson, was announced as the play caller, which is funny because he probably has the least experience in that realm of anybody on the team. But I do know from sources that he is, not only is, is he the best recruiter, but there's no one better on the team at connecting with the players than C-Rob. He's a player's coach, and obviously Dan Mullen thinks that he's going to be able to get out of the team moving forward in these next, these next three games. So, Neil, with that said, we have to ask ourselves, what is our expectation for these last three games? Well, Florida's got to win all three. There, there's, there's no wiggle room at all. There, there can't be, well, we got screwed over by the refs or we would have beaten. No, no. Florida's got to win the next three games, and they've got to win them fairly convincingly because like South Carolina, these next three teams are not good. Missouri is not a good football team. Sanford, we know, is an FCS team, and FSU – is three and six and needs to win out just to make a bowl game. There's no excuse. There's no rationalization for losing any of them. But more than that, there's a level of care that I'm looking for out of the Gators because I just went into, I mean, uh, the whole audio book about how, well, these were two bad people in Hevesy and Grant. And these are two nasty people that just got removed from, from positions of authority, which free the players from essentially reigns of tyranny over them. They better be, I mean, the energy that needs to be shown by them needs to be diametrically opposed to what we saw on Saturday night to, re- to reflect that. Because if it isn't, then we know it's not just the fact that we had bad coaches who the players hated in positions of authority over them. It's, it's the players' fault for quitting because if you're going to play badly under the supervision of coaches that you don't like, if you then fix the problem, 
cut those tumors out, free the players up, and give them new voices that they, I mean, at the very least, don't hate and possibly even outright appreciate and like, and they still play like that, then the blame shifts to the players. And then we can really get into how embarrassing, humiliating, unacceptable, et cetera, it is to lay down and quit and commit the Cardinals into sports. So that's what I expect to see. I expect to see a renewed energy. I have been told by multiple people within the locker room that we're going to see it. We did see it already on, you know, in the, in the first practice on Monday. So that's a very good sign. Um, but let's, let's see it on the field. Let's see it in game day on game day. Let's see it happen in each of the next three games. Let's not just see it once against Sanford. Oh, nice. You know, big win at home, beat an FCS team, feel good. And then just not do it on the road against Missouri. No, 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 no. Let's make playing with that level of excitement, a way of life, teach ourselves, teach our muscle memories to just get used to it and make it natural. So that next year, you're off and rolling. So that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, Neil. And we had a conversation Sunday before we found out officially that Todd Grantham had been fired. And I, I said these three things that I wanted to see from Mullen to prove to me that he deserved to continue as the coach of the University of Florida. Number one, I said, fire Todd Grantham. You got to do that. You can't move forward with the performances we've had and the, the negative impact that he's had on the team until you fire him. Check. We fired Todd Grantham. What's number two? Start Anthony Richardson. Now, all news aside that he was dancing in the hotel before the uh, South Carolina game and, and injured his knee and all that stuff. All that aside, he needs to start because he's the best player on the team from a quarterback standpoint, in my opinion, from the film that I've seen him put on, on tape. Um, I mean, I'll probably do a Twitter space at some point, just breaking down what I see from him as far as uh, being fundamentally sound as a quarterback. Is he perfect? No. He's also a freshman. I think he's going to do great things at the University of Florida, especially if Dan Mullen can build a team around him, especially on the offensive line. And then number three. So number two, start Anthony Richardson. And number three, we need to throttle everyone. We need to the living daylights out of everyone. And Neil, you know I, I don't use certain words, but you can fill them in for me. We need to beat the living out of everybody we play. We need to beat the crap, and you could probably use another word, but we could beat the crap. We need to beat the crap out of Sanford. We need to beat the crap out of Missouri, and we need to beat the crap out of FSU. No conservative play calling. We need to beat the living out of all those teams because that's the Gator standard. Because that's what the Gators bad. should by the do. Way, by the way, I'll, I'll say it again. These teams are atrocious. We're not asking Florida to go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and beat Big Bad Bama by 30. We're not asking Florida to go into Jacksonville and beat Georgia. We're talking about a Sanford team that's bad even by FCS standards, a Missouri team that Florida is, is fighting with to be fifth in the SEC, which I, don't, which I don't know how the hell that happened after what we saw in September. I don't know how the hell it fell that way well i mean i do we've just spent an hour talking about it but florida is significantly more talented and an fsu team 
that needs to win its last three games just to make a bowl game at three and six. We're, we're no, I don't want to hear. Well, you can't win them all, you know, in all kinds of ways. I'm just, I'm just so disinterested from that. These are three awful, awful football teams. The way South Carolina was, which is, you know, why we're now in the position that we're in. But go ahead, Dustin. I, I cut you off. Continue. Yeah. So we have to beat the crap out of everybody, especially with what just took place. It. What, what, what does this team have to lose? Okay? And I, and I was telling you earlier, I want to see Zach Carter have the, the game of his life against Samford. I want to see him get four or five sacks, and then they take him out midway through the, the second quarter because we're up 30 to nothing. And uh, he has a, a strip sack and has taken it to the end zone. I expect nothing less from him. Because this is a bad, this is a bad Samford team. You know, they're FCS. Obviously, they don't have the same talent that we have. But they're not a good team. <laughs> so, deal. I, I mean, that, that's about all I, all I need to say as it, as it concerns the next three games. We'll, we'll obviously talk a little bit more about the uh, about Missouri game and the FSU game. Um, spoiler alert. I, that Missouri game is is looking like a losable game, even with the with the um, the recent firings. But we'll see. We'll see how this team responds against Samford. We'll see what this team looks like. Do they look like the the team that that bludgeoned USF, um, especially in the offensive side of the ball, or is this going to be a team that looks more like what we saw? against South Carolina. I hope not, but if they do, then we might have a very different pod uh, after the Samford game. Yep, that's facts. I can pretty much sign off on all that. Um, I'll just say one more thing for now about the current state of the program before more time elapses and more results come in and we have a new current situation to discuss in a couple of weeks. I wanted Dan Mullen above all other coaches to replace Jim McElwain in 2017. I remember what he did in Florida as the OC. I saw what he did at Mississippi state. I knew there were flaws. I knew there were rumblings about some things that maybe he wasn't so great at like his stubbornness, his arrogance. I heard all those. I hoped he could put them aside. Just focus on the things he did well, continue to do the things that he had always done well at Florida in a head coaching capacity, learn from his shortcomings, grow, fill his staff with good assistance. And he has done that in, at times. Tim Brewster was a great hire. Billy Gonzalez was a great hire. Um, and Brian Johnson was a great hire for three years. But I am rapidly losing faith. And in fact, I have lost faith that he is the man for this job because he has for too long allowed his arrogance and his stubbornness and his loyalty to personnel that does not get the job done to remain in positions to act, uh, whether that's playing or coaching, on behalf of the university and damage the university football program. I can get that faith back now that he has fired two of the tumors that were on his staff before this week. I still am skeptical that 
he can actually learn from this and say, you know what? I have to make business decisions even when they suck. Even when they're the most difficult conversations I'll ever have in my life, I've got to do it for the overall health of my program. I don't believe he will do it again if the situation arises, but he has done it once now. So there is now a precedent for him to do it again. It may very well have been, and in fact, I just said earlier, I am positive it was because the bull gators forced his hand, but he did do it. So if these next few weeks go the way that they should, Florida will be heavy favorites in all three, even after what just happened to South Carolina. If chalk holds, Florida wins all three games by at least three touchdowns or so, or, or you know, I mean, if they win, they, you know, if they beat Sanford, if they beat Sanford by 40, they go to Missouri, they win that one 31, 17, you know, maybe the spreads 20, but they only win by 14. And then they come home and they beat FSU by 20. They take care of business and they win their last three games in convincing fashion. I will go into 2022 with an open mind about Dan Mullen. I will believe it is possible that he has turned things around. I currently do not, but I am willing to see where this goes. I am willing to give the man that was at the top of my replacement for Jim McElwain list one more shot to prove to me that he can get out of his own way, that he can shed the arrogance or at least bury it and not allow it to make the decisions for him to make the best decisions possible for the Florida Gator football program moving forward. Dan, I'm begging you, man. I have so much respect for what you did as our OC, what you did at Mississippi State, what you did at Florida for your first 2.75 years. I don't forget that stuff. The last 12 months of your tenure has just been an abject abomination, but I still remember the first nine games of 2020, the two seasons before that, and your four years as our offensive coordinator. Please, man, I have have such high regard for you. You got to make the best decisions possible. You got to just get out of your own way and do the things that maybe aren't comfortable, but that just have to be done. Because if you don't, if you don't learn from this, if you don't start making these kinds of decisions on your own, the, because I mean, I said it before, I'll say it again. Let's be very clear. The Bull Gators did this for him. He did not make this decision. If you don't take something from this and say, you know what? I got to do this. The Bull Gators did it for me this time. They gave me a freebie. They made it. For, they made the decision for me this time. I got to do it next time. If you don't realize that, it's just not meant to be. Please don't make it come to that. I And I personally think that that's how it's going to end now because of all I've seen from you for the last several years. Um, but I, I'm, I'm open to you changing my mind, and I want you to because I do like you. I am very fond of your history here. But you got to show me something, man. You got to give me something real. You got to give me something legitimate to base that hope off of. Here... Last thing I'll say, here's to you doing that, man. Here is my last morsel of hope into you as our head coach. I beg of you, I beg of you to do the things you need to do on a consistent basis. Not once, not here or there, on a consistent basis that we both know will make the program better. Please do it. Please make it a way of life. Please operate your program in the way that it needs to be operated in order to make it the best it could possibly be so that you can 
with restore that Gator standard, which is to have the Gators competing for championships year in and year out. Please, Dan, for your own good. Something that I want to I want to speak to just very briefly. We here operate under the brand in all kinds of weather. And so often that statement gets misconstrued. In all kinds of weather does not mean that we blindly are okay with whatever happens to our team, win or lose, rain or shine. That's not what it means. It's not a a blind acceptance of the team that we support. It is instead a passionate support of the team and an expectation that the team will do its best. It is a support that does not jump ship. It doesn't mean that you or myself are going to be fans of other teams. We're not going to be Bama fans. We're not going to jump ship. We're not going to do that. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. In all kinds of weather, we all stick together. And Neil, you and myself, as well as Casey, we have been Florida fans through the best and through the worst of this team. We didn't jump ship in 2013 and 2014. We didn't jump ship in 2017. We continued to stay true to our team. That does not mean that we cannot be objective about what we see. It doesn't mean that we can't have high expectations, and it doesn't mean that we can't criticize. And to anybody that looks at what we do, looks at the topics we discuss, and looks at the attitude in which we convey our passions, anybody that looks down on that, y'all need to grow a pair. Y'all need to understand that if we're going to wear the, the orange and blue proud, that comes at a price. And what does that price include? That price includes standing up for what we believe in as far as our team. And it includes saying what needs to be said when the product that is on the field doesn't line up with the expectation that has been set up by the program and by what has been said by coaching staff and by uh, the powers that be in the university athletic department. And I'm not going to speak to anything specific, but Neil, let me just say this about you because I know you won't say this about yourself. Neil, you're a real one. You endured the cold. You endured, based on your account on your own Twitter, some of the worst experiences that I've seen from a Gator fan and opponent stadium. Neil, I'm literally looking at the video right now. This is despicable. Neil, you, you, you not only endured that, but you, you endured the worst loss that I've seen. And that includes the Georgia Southern game because that game was close. Guys, this South Carolina team beat Vanderbilt by one point. <laughs> by one point. This team is basically Vanderbilt. Shane Bieber did not expect to win. 
<laughs> he looked like a fat kid that just got asked out by the prettiest girl in school to prom. That's what he looked like at halftime. <laughs> Dude, you endured that. That's what in all kinds of weather means. You believe in your school. You believe in your team. And you, be you, you believe in what it means to exert the Gator standard. And obviously this team hasn't done that this season. And hopefully things change. Who would have thought my, my biggest rant coming out of the, the South Carolina game would be defending you in terms of this and all kinds of weather brand? Who would have thought? I'm just curious. Where did you go to school? Oh, Neil. I went to school and got my uh, bachelor's degree at the University of Florida. Thank you for asking. Interesting. Uh, what, what do you think of fans who get upset at a team's performance um, if they didn't go to that school? I think you have a right to be a fan of whatever team you're a fan of. If you're a passionate fan of Georgia or FSU or Alabama or Tennessee, go for it. I don't care what school you went to. I'm an alumni. I, I had student tickets every year that I was a, uh, uh, going to the University of Florida. But even if you weren't a student, if you didn't, even if you didn't go to the school, if you wear the origin blue, if you wear that proud, then you deserve to have the right to criticize and have high expectations for your team, especially if those are the expectations that have been set by the program. Dan Mullen did not come to the University of Florida and say, hey, guys, we're going to win most of our games. Hey, guys, we're going we're gonna to beat Georgia sometimes. Hey, guys, we're going we're, we're gonna to beat almost everybody that we should beat. We're going to lose some games that we probably shouldn't or we probably should win. No! He said that we are going to compete for championships. Dan Mullen said in uncertain terms that he's going to bring back what he had left as the offensive coordinator. That's a Gator standard. And that's what we're not living to. And that's why we're so passionate about the direction that we believe we need to see with this program and the changes we need to see happen. Hmm. Interesting. Um, because you know, the few individual people out there uh, don't necessarily think that people who didn't go to a certain school can be fans of that school. But I mean, what do you know? You, you're just, you know, you're just a random University of Florida graduate. Yeah. Listen, man, Dan Mullen, I, like I said, I am a huge fan of yours. I want you to work out so badly, but you got to do something to merit that faith in me again. You've lost it. After getting after your team laid down and died on the field against South Carolina, that's not the kind of thing that can just be pardoned. You can't ignore that. That was a terrible South Carolina team that had to battle to just survive East Carolina and Troy and a terrible Vanderbilt team. And then they blew out a bad Eastern Illinois team from the FCS. That's the profile of a team that obliterated us with school records for points scored and margin of victory. If you're not embarrassed by that, 
if you're not disgusted by that, I mean, no one's, no, no, no one's making it personal at the players. No one's saying that, you know, the, the players are, are terrible human beings. No one's saying that the players are failures as human beings. That was a failure of, of a performance. The players, aside from a few of them, collectively, that was a failure. That was that game tape, that exhibition of football was embarrassing. It was humiliating. There is no other rational conclusion to come to if you watched the same game tape that everyone else watched. That is not something that I can just pardon and say, yeah, well, you know, in all kinds of weather, Dan's my coach forever and ever. No, you got to show something. You got to roll out a team that looks like it believes in you. And by the way, it just so happens that because the next three teams we play are each so bad, the results of a Florida Gators team that goes out there and tries their best, the results are going to be big wins for Florida because the talent gaps are so huge all three times. So, Dan... Yeah, like I said before, I'll say it again to end the pod. Please give me something. Please give me something to believe in you, to merit that faith that I once had in you that made me want you in 2017. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you can regain that faith, not even just in me, but in the fan base and most importantly, in your team. Firing those two cancers was a good first step. Dustin, I'm done. Take us home. Yeah, Neil. Well, I know that we have a Sanford game to pick. Um, So let's go ahead and do a quick verdict on that game. Uh, It's a game that Florida should win. It's It's a game that Florida should win comfortably. So, Neil, do you have a key to the game or uh, any any prevailing thoughts going into the game week? Yeah, I mean, see, because Sanford is so bad, I can't really sit here and give a key to the game regarding who's going to win and who's going to lose. Florida is playing a Sanford team that lost to Chattanooga 55-13. to So... I mean, what I, what I want to see is a team that goes out there and looks like they want to run right through a brick wall for their coach. I am told that the first practices since the firing of Grantham and Hevesy reflected that. they That looked like a team that wants to play football again. Can they keep it up? Can they sustain it? Will it just be fake juice and die out? I don't know. Um, I will take a leap of faith, though and say that that was the start of a rejuvenated team. And I will say Florida goes out and beats Samford 59 to 10. Wow. That's an impressive score. I mean, dude, I'm incredibly surprised. Really bad. Samford is really bad. Let me just say this, Neil. Um, I know that every game, pretty much I give a key. And I know that it's always turnovers, and it's hard not to go back to that one, considering we've continued 
to be consistent at turnover of the ball. Emory Jones fumbled once again, and that fumble was abysmal. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to say that the key to the game is going to be hard. You got to play with heart. You got to play with intensity. You can't play down to the opponent. You can't. Now, I sure hope we come on. This is a team that Florida should score 70 on. And like I said earlier in the pod, Florida needs to throttle every single opponent on the schedule the rest of the season. We got to beat the living daylights out of Sanford. We got to beat the living daylights out of Missouri. And we got to beat the living daylights out of FSU. And when we get a bowl game, we got to beat the living daylights out of whoever we play in the bowl game. I don't care if it's the if it's the Duke's mailbowl or, or whatever. As far as the score, Neil, I can only go by what I've seen on tape. I can only go by what I've seen in the last few games. I hope that this team looks better without Hevesy or grant them on the sidelines or in the building. But we don't know yet. So, Neil, I'm going to continue with my tradition since the Kentucky game, I believe. I'm not going to pick Florida to cover the spread. I believe currently, as we're recording the podcast, the spread's around 31. I'm going to pick Florida to win 45 to 20. Now, I think the, a lot of the points that, that Florida's going to give up is going to be garbage time when walk-ons are, are playing on the defensive side of the ball. I expect Florida to win. I hope we score more points. But that's my score, 45 to 20, and I'm sticking to it. Well, Stanford does have – I mean, we didn't really do a Stanford preview, so I guess we can I'll, – I'll do like a 15-second preview. The very, very short version of the story is Sanford has an offense, but they have no defense. So I do expect them to score point. I don't think we're looking at any possibility of a shutout like we got against Vanderbilt because Sanford can move the ball. But let, let, let's just run through some of their scores this year. Um, and specifically, let, let's look at the number of points they've surrendered in the FCS. All right. They gave up 46 to VMI, 55 to Chattanooga. 45 to Mercer, 55 to Eastern Tennessee State, 37 to Western Carolina, 33 to Tennessee Martin. The, you know, the UT Martin team that Florida destroyed two years ago. No, that, that's cool. Their defense is really, really, really bad. Their offense is respectable for the FCS. This might be the worst defense that, that, the, that this current group of Gators – meaning you know, anyone who's ever played in the Dan Mullen era will ever face. Like This is the worst defense Florida will have ever faced under Dan Mullen as a head coach. It, it, is, it is giving up points by the bunches in the FCS. So, I mean, if Florida can't at least get 50 on this team, I mean, if you know, they get 49 – and they stop trying midway through the third quarter. All right, fine. If they can't even get like 45, it's going to be a massively underwhelming performance. Let's let's see it. I hope you're right. Hope it is 59 to whatever. That's my projection. 
59-10, yes, that's, that's your prediction. But hopefully we did score that amount of points. And hopefully we see uh, some younger guys get in. Yeah. I want to see – obviously I want to see Anthony Richardson start. I want to see him score a ton of points. I want to see Emory Jones redeem himself. And I want to see Kitna and, um, and Carlos Del Rio get some playing time. Love to see them chuck the rock around. Yeah, I would too. I'd love to see D1 Black, especially. Yes. The yes. ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, heart. Um, yeah, and that's been pro- arguably the most frustrating thing has been his lack of playing time. There's, n- <sighs> we're. I'm not going to go there, Neil. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hold back. We will. Maybe we'll save it for an off-season podcast talking about some of the storylines. But, Neil, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, we were a little bit more subdued than I expected in, on this pod. Um, and, and unfortunately, due to some, uh, some, some uh, matters with, with work, Casey couldn't be with us this time around, but we'll certainly hear from him. Um, I know I'll certainly be doing a Twitter space. Uh, between the uh, the release of this podcast and the and the game on Saturday, so he'll he'll be likely joining alongside that. Uh, but yeah, Neil, uh, you wanna you wanna bring it home? Yep. In all kinds of weather, we will all sit together for F L O R I D A. Go Gators! Y'all stay safe, stay healthy. I will be going to Florida FSU even though Florida currently sits at four and five, because that is what in all kinds of weather means. And I will be going with Dustin, I believe. Yes, sir. To that game. So hope to see y'all there. It's going to be Florida FSU. I don't really care how terrible either team is. It's still Florida FSU, damn it. So I want to see y'all there. I want to see that swamp get loud one more time and give us some real momentum heading into 2022. Let's win out. I know we said that before South Carolina, and then we got our asses kicked. But let's win out from here. Go eight and five. Give ourselves some momentum, something to hinge hope on heading into a probably a make or break year. I think it's fair to say 2022 for Dan Mullen. Like I've said, I am very very skeptical. I, if I had to bet on it, I would say that I I think that this is. Just putting lipstick on a pig. I don't think this is anything more than cosmetic. I think Mullen did it to save his own job and did not actually grow from this. But I am willing to be proven wrong. I'm willing to give Mullen that chance to prove me wrong. I'm willing to see where this goes. And I'm hoping against hope that my intuition is wrong. My gut feeling is wrong. And Dan Mullen can rise from the ashes, come off the mat, and become that legendary coach that the Gators deserve to have so until next time go gators in all kinds of weather um for dustin smith i am neil shulman we will talk to and hopefully talk with y'all on a twitter space very very soon go gators go gators